So, um, today, uh, I'm delighted uh, to welcome onto this uh, uh, live, uh, Facebook Live for the Ski Podcast, uh, Benjamin Alexander. And um, Benjamin, or Benji, as I believe he's uh, known from time to time, you can find his website at Benji Ski. Uh, you know, this is an incredible story. You are planning to become the first Jamaican to take part in a alpine skiing event at the Winter Olympics. Uh, correct. That's correct, right? Yeah. Because I think that um, in my extensive research, um, there have been a few uh, Jamaicans represented at the Olympics uh, before. One on skis, is that right? Correct, yeah. 2010, Errol Kerr, who is a Tahoe resident, um, he competed in ski across. So he's a freestyle skier. It was right. the first time Jamaica had a skier at the Olympics. And he finished in ninth place, which is still wow. to this date, yeah. This is still to, to the date the best finish for any Caribbean athlete at the Winter Games. Okay, okay. Well, there you go. That's set the bar pretty high <laughs> for you to uh, get to. But, you know, we'll come to, back to bobsleigh. But I think in Pyeongchang, yeah. there were Jamaican representatives in the uh, bobsleigh and the skeleton as well. But let, right. let's go back a little bit, uh, uh, Benjin. Kind of, you're pretty new to skiing, aren't you? How long have you actually been uh, skiing? When did you start? I uh, started skiing in 2016 uh, over the President's Day weekend, which is the middle weekend of, of February, um, and had never really been exposed to the sport of skiing until a couple of months before in December of 2015, when I was invited to a heli ski lodge to join a bunch of my friends that were heli skiing. And really, it was that experience of being at that lodge that made me just say, what the hell is this? I, I want to be a part of this. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm well, very yeah, new. I mean, I think heli skiing as a debut, you know, would, would make you think, wow, you know, I'd like to be a part of that. But so yeah. you got invited to that. And then how long after that was it that you started skiing yourself? Was that in 2016 as well? Yeah, there was a two month gap between the two. Christmas 2015 uh, was the heli ski lodge in British Columbia. Yeah. Micah is the name of the resort. And then literally yeah. two, two months later, uh, just like just shy of two months later, I was Back in uh, Canada, I was invited to perform. I was a, I used to be an international DJ. I was invited to right. perform in Whistler. And in the middle of all that, I, I managed to squeeze in some ski lessons. Great. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not the obvious uh, uh, segue in careers to go from yeah. uh, DJ to alpine uh, skier. But so that was, so then your first kind of proper season was 17, 18, because you progressed fairly quickly in terms of your skiing, didn't you? Yeah, so um, when I started in 2016, I, I only had two days of skiing and didn't touch the sport again for another year. I was still in the depths of my DJing career. And for the most part, my schedule took me to places with sun and not mountains and snow. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't get to ski again until 2017. And in 2017, I managed to squeeze in seven days of skiing, culminating in being back at that heli ski lodge. And my ninth day of skiing ever was heli skiing. Right. Okay, your ninth ever day. Wow. Um, Rob, did you find that a bit challenging or was that all right? Most challenging day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone that skied in you know, bottomless powder, especially if you're new to that, understands that just falling over and just getting back up from a fall can take 20 minutes and can take all of the energy out of you and just like expend you for the rest of the day completely. But no, it was 2018 when I really, really got the bug. Um, I went back to Revelstoke. Friends had set up a kind of like a, a ski trip. There were 100 and, about 150, 150 of us on the mountain. It's like a tech entrepreneur event called Send It, but it's on a right. ski hill. 
Uh, and Revelstoke was such a great place to host this. So I spent about five days skiing there. As you said, uh, I went to the Olympics the following month and noticed that Jamaica was massively underrepresented. Um, I even watched the movie Cool Runnings for probably the 15th time on the ride home from one of the events. Um, and then went to ski in Japan in March of that year and got to ski in Chile and Argentina in, in July of that year. And just that I was hooked from that moment. 2018 was really when you know, it was all systems go, which sounds crazy because you know I was in Patagonia just two years ago, right? So this is a very, very new thing in my life. Yeah, you've done some amazing uh, skiing, but I think it was um, going back because that Sender event you mentioned uh, was in Revelstoke. And yeah. so then you committed and uh, moved on to spending the, the whole season in Revelstoke the season after. Is that right? Yeah. So so 2018 was the inaugural event for, 20, for, for Send It. And then in 2019, we went back and a couple of friends of mine decided that we should spend more time out there instead of five days in, in a hotel. Why not take a, a house for a whole month? So I stayed out for the stayed out there for a month, which then became six weeks because everyone just wants to extend a ski trip. No one wants to go home from a ski trip, right? Um, and basically, skied 14 days, and then my legs told me to take a day off. Skied 14 days, my legs told me to take a day off. And basically, skied 37 days, and over that period, you know, I managed to squeeze a whole season's worth of skiing, and I skied 1.7 yeah. million vertical feet in those 37 days, and and left the mountain having uh, set a new record for the most amount of vertical feet skied in one day. Okay, well, 1.7 doesn't mean much to me per se. It sounds like yeah. a really big number, but skiing the most amount of vertical feet in a single day in a resort like Revelstoke, where is, were you doing that heli skiing? Is that how you managed that or how did you do it? No, so I basically, um, it, it was really crazy. So. The Send It group had a WhatsApp chat with all of the attendees inside of it. And after everyone had left, I was still kind of posting up what my days were looking like. And, you know, I was regularly posting up 60K days, 50K days. And everyone was just in this group was just blown away. Like, how are you doing that? What, what are you doing right. out there? But for me, it was normal. I was just so infatuated with the sport. I would go out first thing in the morning. Sometimes I would forget about lunch. And just by the end of the day, you know, I'd skied the entire day nonstop. And so that just gave me pause for thought. If these are people that have been skiing for decades and they think that skiing 60K in one day is impressive, then what, what would be the theoretical maximum? And so I run around the mountain, I was timing the chairlifts to kind of understand which chairlifts would give me the most vertical gain in the shortest amount of time. I timed how quick I could get down all of the runs to figure out you know, the snakes and ladders of moving around the, the board as it were to see which would be the quickest wow. way to stack up some vert. And I figured that I could probably get over 100 thousand vertical feet in one day. Now, just for comparison, quite often when you look at a leaderboard of a mountain, um, you know, Jackson Hole is my home mountain and there's an app. Most people are barely doing 20,000 vertical feet in a day. And if anyone has like a ski trap, a ski app uh, tracker, if you yeah. go back and you, you kind of like turn it on next time you're skiing, lots of people are barely doing 20,000 vertical feet in one day. And you're um, doing so five get, times that in a single exactly, day. Exactly, exactly. So, I basically figured out that it would be this one chair and this one run that I would do. And I just looped it over and over and over again. Yeah. It didn't stop. Um, I, I even timed how long it would take for me to kind of pull off to the side and go to the bathroom in, in between the trees. And I decided <laughs> that that would be too much of a time penalty. So in the course of the day, I actually had to go to you know, the restroom, shall we say, into a bottle on the chairlift to achieve this record. Um, right. And yeah, so finish the day at 103,351 okay. vertical feet. So, so your endurance, uh, you know, you must be very fit. You clearly got a lot of endurance. You can be skiing nonstop uh, all day. 
Um, what about the the technique uh, side of things? Did you have you had you know race coaching at all as you've looked to progress to the racing side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So at first I was just kind of brute forcing the problem, throwing myself down the mountain and just figuring it out. The interesting thing about assuming that a day of skiing requires a lot of endurance, it's kind of counterintuitive because if you're a kamikaze skier, then you probably make three turns on the entire run. So for the most part, it would take me a hundred seconds, a minute 40 to get down and doing three or four turns. And then I'm sitting down on my butt for the next six minutes and 20 seconds. So it's actually, very relaxing and I even the, the biggest concern for me was that I might lose too much body temperature body heat and, and fail through getting cold um, unfortunately yeah. that didn't happen but in terms of technique um, I, I've been to multiple race camps uh, I was just sponsored to join uh, the ADL ski clubs race camp that they host at Mount Hood with the Mayer brothers uh, that just happened in June yeah. um, I've also had a race camp uh, with Will Gregoric who used to be you know number two skier in the United States back in Bodie Miller's time. He just missed the, uh, the Olympics in his period due, due to injury. And I've had a bunch of um, you know, race training camps at Jackson. At, at present, I do not have like the one coach that's with me every day or, or with me like every other day, not yet. Okay, but you know, as far as I can see, so you started racing, you know, you built up this, you progressed really quickly as a skier, you know, a lot of uh, vertical achieved, but you started racing only this year is that right yeah yeah in january of this year so my first race was at big sky montana so yeah. you were racing gs right yes i am yeah yeah so so what's really interesting is when i sat down in 2019 with um you know a former u.s national level skier who was with us up at revelstoke um you know i i, I kind of approached his name was gordon i approached gordon i said look i have this crazy idea i went to the olympics last year I'm really into skiing. I'm coming to the end of my uh, previous career of being a DJ. In fact, I just retired in November of 2018. I have this idea that the next thing I want to do in life is be a ski racer and get to the Olympics. It sounds like the natural progression, right? Um, and so Gordon was like, hey, okay, so let's ski together. I've never seen you ski. And this was day five into my 37 days at Revelstoke. So we skied together. And at the end of the day, Gordon was like, look, I'll be brutally blunt with you. Your ski technique absolutely sucks he's like but that's to be expected you've skied what 20 25 days in your entire life and here we are together he says i just can't seem to understand how you are keeping up with me i've been skiing since i was two i was former u.s national skier you've just started and you're keeping up with me you're absolutely fearless and he said we can teach you technique technique is something that's taught you're obviously not going to learn that by osmosis but the fact that you're going at these speeds shows that you are fearless and that's more than half the battle won and so we can work with that so gordon was the one that helped me decide that gs would be uh my discipline um, right. for a multitude for a multitude of reasons um and gordon was the one that helped me kind of unravel the the whole kind of the whole world of ski racing great and and before lockdown then you managed to get in i think six races and yep. brought your fist points down from is that like a thousand to start off with to about yeah. 560 or something like that is that right, right? yeah yeah so to, to actually get a place or to be able to compete in the olympics where do you have to what number do you have to get that down to 160. okay and right so that that sounds like a lot more progression how how do you go about getting it down to uh, to that level from from this point onwards you've got a, yeah. a, when is the cutoff date as well that might be quite interesting so i need to be at 160 by january of 2022 
Yeah. I believe that I will be there by the end of March of this coming year, 2021, if not uh, by April. And so numer numerically, you can see that I've gone, you know, from a thousand points down to 560, which is 440, and I only have 400 to go. But the way the points are set up is that it's actually yeah. much harder to get these remaining 400 points than it was to get those first 460. Yeah, points. I can understand yeah. that. Yeah. So I have a master plan that's been set out for me by a guy called Mike Schneider out of um, Canada. And I met Mike on Reddit of all places um, all right. when I was just kind of asking the internet, how would one get down to 140 fist points? Back then it was 140. Now it's 160. They changed. And everyone kind of threw up their stupid answers. It's the internet. You get what you, you know, you get what you ask for. Um, but Mike was like, look, I'm a U16 coach up here in Canada. Lots of my kids graduate from me um, or from my classes at 160 or, or better. I know exactly what you need to do. Give me some more details and I'll tell you. He then proceeds to write me an entire dissertation of how to go from zero to Olympian. I'm not going to say zero to hero because that's yeah. not what we do, but zero to Olympian. And so the overarching plan and the goal for the 2020 season that we've just finished was a to get as much time as possible on snow. Um, even though yeah. we lost a big chunk of the season, I managed to ski 181 days this season. So I ticked that box. The other goal was to, to get about 10 races under my belt. And I had 10 races scheduled. Uh, I lost the last four because of COVID and the season ending, but the goal yeah. was not to be competitive. Mike said to me, first two races, just finish them. He said, I don't care if you snowplow them, you need to get those first two races so you're in the system because yeah. your points are calculated by the average of your best two finishes. So you need two finishes, right? So snowplow the first two, which I didn't do, <laughs> but I finished them. Um, and then he's like, the reason you're doing these races is not to be competitive, but you're going to make a bunch of mistakes along the way. Make them now while it doesn't matter, as opposed to when we're kind of like really chasing these points. Yeah. And that's really what it is. I, I made every mistake known to man that a, that a racer could potentially make. And I kind of hopefully front loaded them into this season so that now well, I, ha I had a quick look at them. It looked like you only DSQ'd in uh, or DNF'd in uh, one of them. So uh, exactly. out of six, that's pretty good, I think, when you're trying to kind of go all out. Totally. My first international race at Lake Louise, it was the second run of the second race. Everyone was cheering me on because everyone has been so wonderful in this in this kind of field. All of the technical directors are cheering me on because I look so different to everyone else. And they really love and believe in what I'm doing. And I was so pumped up and excited by the, the joy of the people around me, I blew straight past the gate, the first gate on the wrong side. So these ah, are the kind of mistakes. Oh no, right. <laughs> these are the kind of mistakes that you should not be making, but you have yeah. to make them to never make them again, as it were. Yeah. Um, but now going into this 2021 season, the aim is to hit two dozen races, maybe even 30 races, which will have me qualified by by March or April of next year, as I said. Right. Well, um, you know, good good luck with that. I mean, I know that since lockdown, you've been working really hard on your endurance still because you've been doing a bunch of ski touring. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the chairs stopped for the world in the middle of March. Um, for us, it was particularly bad because we arrived at the mountain on Sunday, the 15th of March. I'd woken everyone up at the in the house at 7 a.m. It was a powder day. We'd had 23 inches in the right. previous 24 hours. Yeah. And we got to the mountain, and it was only when we got to the mountain that we realized they're not going to open the mountain. There was no forewarning. They just yeah. you know, they took it away from us. Anyway, this is Jackson so we, Hole are you talking about? Jackson Hole, yeah. yeah. JHMR is my, my, my home mountain. Fantastic mountain. Um, but we didn't miss a beat. That same day, we we had we were on our uh, skins and we you know we we went to snow king and just kind of like got some exercise. And yeah. it turns out that uh, 
the, you know, even though I'd just gotten back into the country two weeks before that, um, I, I then managed to ski 100 consecutive days. Didn't miss a beat, even though COVID kind of took the chairs away from us. Wow, that is brilliant. You know, I feel you being on the list closing because I was in Switzerland uh, when that happened. And we also, you know, got our ski touring uh, skis out and still got some uh, training in. But to get that time on snow, obviously for you now, I think as you go up the levels, you end up competing against other people who have higher fist points. And it's when you get a good time against someone who has high fist points that you can bring your points down. So yeah. will you be actively, is that part of that strategy plan, actively scouting the races where you can see there might be an opportunity there to, to boost your points? So the, as you say, the playing field is absolutely not even with the reg regards to races. One race is not the same as another race in another part part of the world. And there's a lot of weird things that actually contribute towards that. So yes, you, you know, the caliber of the field is, 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 is massively important to how your race uh, points change, but also other factors such as how cold it is. So when I speak to uh, race coaches, all of them keep saying, go to Lutzen, go to Lutzen, go to Lutzen in Minnesota, because it's so cold that even if you're running, you know, 40th or 60th, the ice is so cold that the track holds up. So you have you can game the system by you know even things such as weather, um, and so we're definitely looking at races such as that I have my race Canada set out for the 2021 season, and Lutzen's really the only one I'm going to jump on a plane for. I have access to over 20 races within an eight-hour drive of uh, of Jackson. Cool. I just added that photo uh, in there. Can you see that on yeah, the screen? I can. Yeah, that so is a fantastic. Fantastic those photo. Grand Tetons in the background there. Is that um, right? The, okay. Yeah. So that's the Grand Teton National Park. I was doing a lot of skiing in that area after the chairlifts closed. Uh, and that's the view from the house we're at. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place and a stunning part of the world. Cool. We just had a question come in from Chris. He's, uh, he's watching online. Um, he said, have you been invited to train with the Canadian Alpine team at all? I have not. No, I have not had an, an offer of uh, invitation from any of the national teams. Uh, what what about, you know, the, the Jamaican um, Olympic Committee? How does that work in terms, because you can have the points, but you still have to be officially part of their Olympic setup, don't you? Absolutely. So I have the full blessing and support of the Jamaican Ski Federation and the Jamaican Olympic Association. Um, I got the opportunity to meet with the president, Christopher Samuda. Um, you know, I'm here in Jamaica right now, so I've met him a couple of times. And what's right, interesting right. is he's just taken up the role of president from, the, from his predecessor, um, and his predecessor held the role for 40 years. So you can imagine the amount of success that the president of the JOA had had over those past 40 years, right? Yeah. Um, so Christopher, Christopher, I believe, has been thinking, well, what will be my legacy? And he really wants to... Uh, you know, divest uh, attention into as many different sports as possible to bring up Jamaica in as many right. different areas and categories as possible. So I have his full blessing and full wow, support. Wow, that's really good, really good. Yeah, and this coming Winter Olympics is likely to be the the biggest contingent of um, uh, or, the, or the biggest Jamaican team that goes to any Winter Olympics. Um, the, hopefully the men's bobsleigh qualify, that's four. Uh, the, the two men, women bobsleigh, the skeleton is seven. We have two figure skaters from Florida um, that are on the path to qualifying. And me, that'll be 10, maybe 11 athletes representing Jamaica, which will be the biggest team we've ever sent. That's, that, that would be uh, fantastic and, uh, and really good. I mean, it's interesting to say they're from uh, Florida. Really, yeah. it's part of that sort of J Jamaican um, di diaspora 
Uh, because right, you yeah. are originally from the UK, is that right? Or you, Correct. I don't yeah. know where you live, where you consider you live now, but you're <laughs> British as well as Jamaican? Yes. Uh, so I live definitively on planet Earth. That, that, that's definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> But I have kind of lived out of my suitcase for the past decade with me on my former role as a DJ. Um, but yeah. here's the interesting thing. Jamaica has a population of 2.7 million. The diaspora, yeah. um, which has spread far around the world, is almost as big. It's two point, there's 2 million Jamaicans outside of Jamaica, um, right. predominantly in the United Kingdom, um, yeah. and then a huge chunk in the United States and Canada. Those are the three biggest countries where Jamaicans reside outside of the country. So what we're really looking for when it comes to winter sports, because obviously, you know, I'm sitting right in front of my air conditioning here. It's, it's you know, 30 degrees outside. There's no, right. there's no snow here. For winter sports, really, the JOA is looking to the diaspora um, and particularly the parts of the diaspora that are closer to winter sport, closer to mountains. And, and you know, I've been doing this. So the, the girls that are figure skaters are obviously people that uh, girls that have you know, grown up skating. There's no ice skating rinks here in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, that's not wholly different from the approach that um, Snowsport GB have been taking in recent years because they've been looking to identify good skiers who can have British passports. And we see that right. um, in a number of cases from, um, I'm not sure if I can recall the name uh, to hand, but we've covered this before in the podcast, but Manny, um, someone who is a, a, going to be a female ski jumper Female ski okay. jump is a new event uh, for the Olympics, and uh, she has lived and been brought up in Austria. And huh. They've uh, identified her as a you know possible contender, and there obviously there's more mainstream people uh, who we've taken on board from the French team and from the American team who've transferred over in the last uh, in the last couple of years. So huh. looking at that diaspora does make a, a difference when people are on the search in Team GB's uh, case for medals. Uh, at the Winter Olympics, but it sounds like for Jamaica, it's more about representation. And that actually yes. brings me on to another uh, point, because you said, you know, you're getting a lot of support, I think, when you're in Lake Louise, because, you know, you look so different. And, you know, a fact that has to be addressed is you look so different because you are Jamaican, yeah. you know, by descent. And there are very few black people who ski at all, let alone who race. I mean, have you met any others who race at all? Definitively, no. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> no. therefore, you know, in, particularly in, in this year uh, and the environment we're in at the moment, for all others, I can see how there is, you know, a key part uh, to play for, for you and other Jamaicans going to the Winter Olympics. So when people watch that opening ceremony, they don't automatically assume, oh, well, which is pretty easy to do, but, you know, winter sports or skiing, for example, you know, is just for white people. And, you know, the right. issue of, um, of representation in skiing in this country, you know, has been going on for years. I mean, there's a charity called Snow Camp who do some brilliant work and are excellent at uh, being able to, you know, make uh, bring skiing to a more diverse a racial background but it doesn't really exist in skiing so i'd say you're a you know a, a, a forerunner in that respect yeah so i mean there's a lot of things to answer in there um <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with the medal stuff and representation so you know really interesting to hear about what team gb are doing to kind of scout people that might be you know they might just miss the cut for their own national team and so if they have you know, a trace of British blood in them, maybe give them a British passport and have them come represent England. And I think that 
that's a win-win-win situation for everyone. It means more athletes are competing. It means that uh, England has a team. Um, it means that that athlete that might've just missed it for Austria gets to go to the Olympics. And hopefully that rises the sport as a whole. Um, and so that's for medal chasing. For what I'm doing, as you said, you know, Jamaica is more about representation than medal hunting. I think you need to show, and these two things are linked, you need to show people that this sport is not just a monoculture for a certain type of person. And that it, you know, the black people can do it. People of other, um, you know, social economic groups can do it. And really most importantly, not that they can just do it, but that they, they can have fun doing it. And, you know, I absolutely love skiing as you can tell uh, <laughs> by, this by, by this story. So part of my story is Yes, you know, I, I am representing uh, minorities and representing people of color, which is a big thing this year, or, or at least has come to the forefront of a lot of people's minds this year. It's always a big thing. Um, but I'm also representing people that may have thought that the sport of skiing passed them by. They'd never tried it by the time they were 30 or 40. And that's just something they're never going to Yeah, because to re reiterate, we didn't really talk about that, but you didn't start skiing until you were 32 and you're 37 exactly. now, is that right? I'm 37. So yeah, you exactly. would therefore be 30. Just shy of 39. Or, yeah, uh, by the time uh, the Beijing Olympics uh, comes about. Yeah. Um, cool. And I've got another question here from uh, Chris, which is, you, you know, I don't, I can't imagine you managed to get through any interview. You've already brought it up yourself. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. Cool Runnings uh, is a, a movie that uh, I think pretty much, well, I don't know that everybody has watched it, but most people who love snow and snow sports have uh, have seen it. My kids think it's great. You know, you said you watched it a bunch when you were a kid. So Chris is already ahead of the game there. Um, what do you think about a, a movie down the track? Absolutely. I, I'm capturing a ton of media along the way. I hope that my story can be as inspirational for the next generation of, of winter athletes and just people getting into the sport, let alone athletes. Um, so I'm capturing a bunch of media. If anyone's listening that's into film and would like to be a part of the story and help put it together, I'm all ears. We could call it Cool Runnings 2022, perhaps. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, the movie was a huge part of why this is even possible, because Jamaica probably wouldn't have a winter, uh, a winter element at all at the Olympics had it not been for the 1988 team. Um, and also the driver from the first 88 team, and he then went on to do four Olympics, Dudley Stokes is a mentor of mine. We speak every week. He's really? very helpful. Okay. Um, and he's a big part of this, this project as well. He's, he, I have his full blessing and support. Great. Well, you know, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking to you, uh, Benji. And, you know, I wish you all the best. I, I can see how, um, you know, this, well, let's just keep our fingers crossed for this winter and hope that you can get to your races and that you can do your racing and focus yeah. on getting those uh, points down. And I really look forward to following your story. And I hope that, um, you know, down the track, you'll join us again and you can give us an update on, on your progress because we'd love to yeah, have you on the to. show. Yeah, cool. absolutely. We'd love to. All right. Well, best of luck and thanks again for your time uh, and enjoy the rest of your day in Jamaica. I appreciate that. Thank right. you. Cheers Thank you again Bye. for having me on.